Michael Vick, I know I use quite a few uh, football illustrations, and uh, it's probably because I read a lot about football. Michael Vick was a quarterback in the NFL. For 13 seasons, he was uh, uh, an incredible quarterback. He rushed. He was the first. Uh, they call him uh, the the one that he's regarded as transforming the quarterback position that has given us today people like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. The running, versatile quarterback. He uh, was the first quarterback to ever rush for a thousand yards in one season. I think it took Tom Brady seventeen seasons to get to a thousand yards. He played six years for the Atlanta Falcons, named to three Pro Bowls, voted the most valuable player. In 2004, led the team to two playoff ones, one divisional title, and an NFC championship game appearance. But in 2007, Michael Vick was arrested and convicted for hosting dogfighting. He spent 21 months in prison for the charge of running a dog fighting ring. He got out of the, served his 21 months, actually coached Tony Dungy, a very outspoken Christian, took Michael under his wing to provide guidance and help him to rejuvenate his football career. But public perception is a very different thing. When he was arrested, people actually were seen burning his shirts because of the disgust of what he had done. He got back, he played a number, the Falcons cut him, he went to the Philadelphia Eagles, he did a year in Pittsburgh, he did a year uh, for another team as well. He has since tried to redeem himself in the sense of he goes and speaks for the Humane Society for the Invention, Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, become a powerful advocate against dog fighting. He'll speak, travels across the country, will not take any kind of exp, uh, any kind of uh, 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 honorarium or he pay, uh, or travel expenses. He pays for it all himself. The problem Michael Vick faces though is that when people hear his name, they think of the dogfighting and the conviction. He, you know, and he'll admit it. He blew up probably what could have been an absolutely stunning career in the NFL for dogfighting. And he now has to wear that label for the rest of his life. Because people often don't forget bad choices. 
We're going to look at a woman in the Bible. Her name is Rahab. And Rahab has a very interesting distinction that even in the scriptures, almost every time she is mentioned, her occupation as a prostitute is mentioned with it. And I want to think with you how faith changed this young woman's life. And God wants to help you and I. We can take a great lesson away from Rachel. I'm going to read just the first eight verses. We will kind of look through the rest of the chapter of Joshua chapter 2. But let's begin. Verse 1, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israeli camp at Achaia Grove. And he instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. The two men set out and came into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they are, uh, where they were from. They left town at dusk at the gates. Uh, at the, uh, at the gates were about, as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, and if you hurry, you possibly could catch them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under a bundle of flax she had laid out. And so the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River, and as soon as the king's men left, The gate of Jericho was shut, and before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof, and she talked to them. She makes a deal with them. I've saved your life. Now would you save mine? And they say, we'll do it. But if you're not in your house, there's nothing we can do. She puts a scarlet rope out the window to mark who she is when they march around, and everyone in the house was saved. But I want to think with you about just who this woman is and how faith changed her future. Consider this. Rahab, in most translations or in, of the Bible, is simply called a harlot or the term is a prostitute. Now, a truth of life. Many of us blame our bad choices on the circumstances of life. I wouldn't have done that except I had to, I was forced to, I was pressured into uh, this or that. We make excuses for our bad choices. We'll blame circumstances. Now, in life, circumstances can lead to bad choices that we make In life, and people and everyone in here probably has made a couple of bad choices in life. And we blame our circumstances, but yet more often the truth is it's our bad choices, not our circumstances that cause us the great problems. We don't know if this was her choice 
or in some cultures, and, and I'm not going to dwell on this too much, but in some cultures, uh, parents force their girls into this. It's tragic. In 2023, the top things that girls wanted to be from 13 to 17, 13% want to be a doctor or a nurse, 11% want to be an actress, uh, 9% want to be a musician, 7% want to be an artist, and believe it or not, an up-and-coming career choice is 6% want to be a YouTuber. But did you notice prostitution's not on that list? I mean, there aren't little girls going, when I grow up, I want to do this. But yet it happens. No one says, when I grow up, I want to be an alcoholic. When I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. I want to get, I want to get as addicted and sleep on the streets and go months without a shower. That's what I want to do. But it happens. Bad choices usually lead to worse circumstances which create more bad choices. If you blame your circumstances, you will never do what is right. Well, I had to. These are my circumstances. And it justifies what we do in our minds. But the truth is, James tells us, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice, drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That the progression begins in us. The bad decisions that we make that cause us problem. Here she is, she's a bar owner. She's probably, you know, and this probably had to do with a brothel and she's the prostitute uh, and maybe even, you know, uh, the runner of the whole organization. She's a woman marked by both society and her own conscience. Because you can't sin with immunity. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But you can't sin with immunity. Your conscience will label you. Your The world will label you. Society is quick and long to remember your faults. They're short to remember what you did good. They're long to remember your faults. Joshua 6, verse 22, when they finally take Jericho... Meanwhile, Joshua, this is verse 22, Joshua 6, 22. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, to, to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. That's interesting. He doesn't say go to that woman that helped you's house. Go to the borrower. It's the label. She's labeled. In the New Testament, she appears twice in Mentioned in the realms of faith. In James chapter 2 and in Hebrews 11. James 2.25. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away a different road. Hebrews 11 mentions her as a prostitute. This is a term that even the Bible uses to identify her. 
Sin is not neutral. Sin will leave its mark on you. It's not just something you play with and think, oh, I'll be okay. I can handle this. It marks you for life. There are, there are, if you've lived any length of time, you know that sin leaves scars. Sin leaves wounds, especially sexual sins. First Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Time does not heal this. Distance does not heal this. Only Jesus can heal this. As a result, many people feel stuck. I'm sure she felt stuck. Stuckness, one author said, can look like this. It's the, it's really wanting something. A new job, new relationship, improved health, better circumstances, for example. Then losing the motivation to get it. Identifying with something that looks exciting and talking yourself out of the steps to move forward towards it. Endlessly thinking about what could be better or different. Rahab probably wanted something better. Probably wanted something. In illustrations I was reading, I read about one girl who, she got into this kind of profession and she thought at first it was going to be exciting, a lot of money, it was great. Six months later, she's addicted to cocaine, an alcoholic, never leaves her uh, uh, apartment, just uh, totally uh, no friends, no life, no family, no hope. It enslaves and entraps. What was she going to do? Where was she going to go? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I imagine her in this place feeling like there's no hope. And that's where the end of sin will bring every person to hopelessness. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, says that when we were without Christ, we were without hope. But one day, God intervenes. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for change. Don't you wish life came with a soundtrack like in a movie? I mean, can't you tell what's going on with the movie? I mean, they play with things, you know, like the old movie Jaws, you know. You knew the shark was in the water when you heard the, those two notes. Right? You know something's going to happen. Right? You're like, don't go in the water. Don't go in the water. Yo, yo, why'd you go in the water? Right? But life doesn't come with a soundtrack. 
I mean, you know, you get old enough, you listen to a classic station like classic rock and roll. I'm like, yeah, that's the soundtrack to my life. But you know what? It didn't play. It's, it's an afterthought, not a as it's happening kind of moment. But I do believe God does knock on our hearts when he's trying to help us. Verse 1 of our text, Joshua secretly sent out two spies out of the Achaia Grove, and he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan, especially around Jericho. The two men set out and came into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. This is called Providence. That's what the term is. In fact, Providence, Rhode Island is named after a preacher who was kicked out. He simply wanted to reach people and there was some prejudice and he especially wanted to reach the Native Americans uh, that were living there. And so he's kicked out of the the Boston. Uh, they were very Calvinistic and so uh, he's kicked out of the uh, uh, the North Boston uh, settlement there and he he's trying to find a place and when he finds a place with the Indians, he names it Providence. God had made a way. God will make a way. I don't think that being in the right place at the right time in the plan of God is called coincidence. I believe it's called providence. Think about your life. God arranging circumstances to get you to a place where you could become a Christian. Right? That... I think back and I'm like, I made a choice at 14 years old simply because I wanted to get away from some kids. I went to a regional high school. I didn't think a trade was going to be bad either. In that, I ended up meeting another young man who eventually, he's the one who took me to church. He wasn't a Christian at that time either, but eventually, God is able to arrange circumstances. Psalms 37, verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Well, I know that he does for the godly, but I believe he also directs people to get saved, to that opportunity, to that place where the right people and the right time and the right place, there's providence I don't believe in predestination that everything's already preordained and you have no will in it. You have no part of it. She has to make a choice here. These men come in. She obviously knows who they are. The whole town knows who they are. Right? There, it's, it's, it's obvious. They, they stuck out. When I lived in Lithuania, uh, Lithuania, very, 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 very white. That's what they are. They're Europeans. We were with a couple one time. They're, they're, uh, they're, they were uh, a black couple. They were working at the embassy. They started coming to our church. They were great, nice couple. Uh, they made a deal with my kids. They said, your grandparents are in America. Our grandchildren are in America, so while you're here, you're going to be our grandchildren, and we'll be your grandparents. And they would go over and get cookies and cakes and spoiled to death and all that kind of stuff, and it was great. 
And we walked into a restaurant one time. I'll never forget this. We walked into this restaurant and it was a, it was Sunday afternoon and it was an outdoor patio. And so we come in and because they're black, they, either they were businessmen, uh, or, uh, athletes. They were bad. They loved basketball. Uh, so there were some, some that played basketball there and such. And Lithuanians aren't a very prejudiced people. They're very curious people, but not very prejudiced people. So we walk in and everybody's looking. So I wave to them all. Hey, good. They all go down and eat their food again. Right? They're curious about who are these people. Right? The whole restaurant knew we were there. They, they, they didn't approach us and speak Lithuanian. They approached us and spoke English. They know we're not from there. And so as a result, you know, these men walk in, they know they're not from Jericho. They know this. She knows this. She does lie. And that's part of the faith. I'll leave you to work that through on your own theology. Isn't lying sin? Mostly yes. Does this dress make me look fat? You work that out on your own theology, okay? That's all I'm going to tell you there, right? To be deceptive, yes, but she was deceptive. She knew who they were. But she knew, she recognized the timing. God was going to do something. Mordecai tells Esther, if you be quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from another place. and You and your relatives will die, but who knows, perhaps you were made queen or some translations brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. That God has those moments. I don't believe we live in them 24-7, but there are those moments of time. She has to make a choice. Am I going to align myself with the people of Jericho, the world, or am I going to align myself with the people of God? She has to make that choice. She makes the statement in verse 9, which was would be the next verse from where we stopped, she just said, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And she told them, we're all afraid of you. Everyone living, uh, everyone in the land is living in terror. What's interesting is that they had more faith than the children of Israel who believed that they were giants and grasshoppers. And you can read the story 40 years later in Exodus chapters uh, 13, 14 there, how they just didn't believe that, that God had given them the land. It's very fascinating. But she did believe the promises. This is why she is mentioned in the hall of faith. Hebrews 11. This is why she is mentioned as the only other from Abraham in James chapter 2. She believed God, Hebrews 11.13, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.31, and it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given friendly welcome to the spies. 
It's Athrius of Alexandria who said, if the world is against the truth, then I'm against the world. She wanted to do what is right before God. She's not going to let her past stop her from doing what's right. She's not going to. She's she's going to take off that label and say, "No, I'm going to serve God." Verse twelve of Joshua two. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee. And there's negotiations that go on. Of you know, you have to be in the apartment. You have to you know, if you're out in the streets, there's nothing we can do. And so you know, you've got to be here and and such. And so. They make those arrangements. It's kind of a funny story. When people are incarcerated, they often want some kind of redemption to society. For five men, that opportunity came sooner than expected. While working on a side road, a side of a road repairing a concrete medium, a group was, ex- was approached by a shadow la- lantern a motorist whose one-year-old daughter had accidentally been locked inside a car. The girl's father had strapped her in to this rear car in the, uh, in her car seat in the rear, threw the keys in the front seat, closed the door, not realizing they were locked. These men, uh, uh, these men had experience getting into locked vehicles. The deputies oversaw and Lantry stood by recording this with his phone. As they used hangers to jimmy open the lock of the Chevy Tahoe, the child was freed in less than five minutes. Landry was said, thank God for criminals in the world. I respect y'all. Paso County Sheriff Chris Noka agreed. There are, a few, there are only very small percentage of criminals out there who want to, uh, who want to fight us, who want to attack us. But a lot of them are individuals who know they have made bad mistakes, bad choices, but they want to do things right in life. They had an opportunity, and they took it. She has an opportunity. Think about that. In that opportunity, her whole future is changed. Her whole future. Verse Joshua 6.25, so Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and all her relatives that were in her house. For she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelis to this day. Of course, that's the day when this book was written, not today. should be like 2,000 years old. But her life was totally changed totally changed because she responded to what God had said and put her faith in what God had said. God is faithful to help us. You can read about others. Ruth, a Moabite. Life is totally changed because she put faith and put her through her lot in with the people of God. Some people might not have accepted her. Some people might have scoffed her or not been interested in her. But, you know, 
when people won't let you escape your past, that's on them. That's their problem. Not yours. Especially as a believer, Acts 9.26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with some believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. This happened to the Apostle Paul. They thought he's playing this game. He's preached. He's, he, you know, the verse before this, he had to, they were going to kill him in Damascus. He had to kind of escape out a window in the wall of the city. Kind of a similar story of what we're reading. But it's very interesting. They come, they, they, if people don't allow you to change. That's their problem. You serve God. You let God help you. And think about this, the original spy who loved me. She marries a name, a man named Solomon. Not Solomon, Solomon. We don't know anything about him. Other, the only times he's mentioned, five times in the Bible, they're all just in lineage. Like in Ruth chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Amadabad, the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. We don't know anything about him except that he's just mentioned there. Tradition tells us that he probably was one of the two spies. We're never given the name of the spies. But Jewish tradition holds that he was probably one of these two men that she hid in the roof. But what we can deduct is that his father nation is mentioned in one of your favorite Bible reading chapters numbers chapter 7 don't you love when your Bible reading plan gets there where all 12 tribes bring the same gifts and all the gifts are made they brought a you know a golden a silver bowl and a golden platter with 12 rams, 12, you know, six female rams. And, and it's like 89 verses. And it's like, you could just say, and he did the same thing as the guy before him. Right? And you just shorten that right up. Just saying. But anyway, but we are told in Numbers 12, this chapter, that Nashon, the son of Abimadab, the leader of the tribe of Judah presented. So he's the leader of the tribe of Judah. So in a sense, she married a prince or royalty or someone of prominence anyway, that Solomon chose her. This was a man who probably could have had his 
of, of lots of the girls, he chose her. Think about this. She's gone from a prostitute to a bride. Decisions are made. Redemption. And then not only that, which is kind of what started me on this whole interesting study, is that Rahab is one of five women, the foreigners and the floozies, mentioned in Matthew chapter five, chapter one, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But the amazing thing about this, I want to read you verse 5. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Two of the five women mentioned in the lineage. One is not mentioned by name, and that's Bathsheba, just simply as Uriah's husband, or Uriah's wife, rather, the one who was Uriah's wife. But here she's mentioned, but what's very interesting, the prostitute is not mentioned there. It is the only time in the Bible when her former profession is not mentioned. Because in Jesus' sight, it didn't exist anymore. In Jesus' mind, it's not there. She's the great-grandmother of King David. Probably hailed as one of the greatest Jewish men of all time. He had Moabite blood. He had Jacorian blood. I don't know how you'd say Jericho in that sense. But he had, those were part of his, if he did his 23andMe test, He'd find out he was linked to that. But God doesn't count her as her past. He puts her in a great place of honor. We're going into Christmas season. We'll be celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And many people will read. Now, whether he was born in December or not, again, I'll let you work that out. But they'll read her name. And they'll never, and if they have no Bible knowledge or have no understanding of character studies in the Bible or whatever, they won't look back and go, yeah, but she was. But in the list associated with Jesus, it ain't mentioned. Because the blood of Jesus can utterly cleanse you from your past and give you a glorious future. He did it for Rahab before he ever walked the earth. 
He'll do that for you and I. We don't have to keep on the baggage of the past. You can be free. How? Faith. James and the author of Hebrews both say, this this woman, faith. Faith. She acted on what God said. She took the Word of God, the plan of God, the will of God, and said, that's where I want to cast my lot. I'm going to obey. I'm going to act as if what God has said is going to happen, and that's who I'm going to be. That's the promise you and I have. We don't have to wear old labels from your past. That's not who you can be in Jesus. You can be glorious and redeemed and changed by the blood and the purpose of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. The wonderful redemption that God has for people's lives. It begins in an opportunity when you respond to God and His Word. When you respond and say, you know what, my past, I've got things that have affected my conscience that label me. Maybe nobody else knows the label, but you do. They label me. wants to set you free. He can disassociate you with that and put you on a new course, a new future that is a glorious and promising one of dignity and hope that God and God alone can do a miracle for you. But you have to respond correctly. If you're here this morning, you're not right with God, there's an opportunity right now for you to respond. I wonder if that's you, if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I need to respond to the promise and the dignity of God. I need God to help me. I want to turn from my sins. I don't want that to label me any longer. Pray for me. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you haven't shaken the label. So you think, well, I'll just go back. Comes the vicious cycle of blaming your circumstances for your bad decisions. And then your bad decisions, that more, you have to make a worse decision because you created worse circumstances for yourself. You can break that cycle. You simply respond to God. Say, yes, that's me. I'm not right with Him, but I need to get my heart right. Slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me, anyone at all. Jesus can help you. Changing the call then to Christians. This actually brings us to two conclusions as Christians and believers. One is for ourselves. You don't have to wear the titles of the past. You can be free from those. You can be free to serve God. And the second lesson we can take as the people of God that we have to then allow others to be free from the labels of their past. 
if they are genuinely repentive, right? If they if they go out and do it again and do it again and do it again, they're, they're, that's on them. But if they're genuinely repentive, we have to allow people messed up people who who far away from the promises to come in and allow God to do a work in their life. Let's all stand. We're going to sing a song, worship his name, give him praise this evening. These altars are open. I bow my knee. I bow my knee.